Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Okay, folks. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm gonna say that we're connected. Uh, of course, of course. You know, we run up against something where everything is sounding good. We've done our sound checks. We're uh, we're getting our echoes in line here. And as we're doing our tests, uh, we have a moment where I can't hear our our host for five seconds, and he can't hear me. We say, uh, maybe uh, this I'm is back. Be, I'm back. There he I'm is. Back. <laughs> there, he, <laughs> there he is. Oh man, I'm just just getting finished telling the audience. Uh, you know, here we are for our first time in how long, and we just got finished doing a sound check. Voice is clear. We're we're measuring in millimeters distances from microphone to headsets to control echoes, and that there was like a little four second glitch where we couldn't hear each other, and then it stopped. And we, okay, we're good. Everything's good. And then the show kicks off, and you've been cut off, but you're back. You're back. Unbelievable. Uh, I'm back, and uh, at some point I'm gonna want to run out to my car. I don't know when, and uh. Get my backup mic, just in case. <laughs> just in case, just in case catastrophe happens. Well, we'll, we'll take a we'll take a little commercial break, maybe in the middle of the show, for you to do that. But um, okay. but welcome. I mean, welcome back, everybody. I know it's it's been quite a while. Uh, we're kind of at the tail end of our auditing uh, hurricane. Our um, our unlucky draw of having all of the audits happen to land in this same year with state and county and everything else. But uh, we're at the tail end of that. And so hopefully we can start getting back a little more consistently. But any updates you want to give to the fans beyond auditing as to why we've been MIA here? Well, I agree. We're, we're, it appears that we're on the tail end. Um, I do expect one more for this fiscal year. I just don't know when. I I think maybe the spring, if not sooner. But right now we just have, uh, I want to say, two to answer to. So we're just waiting on them to submit their report to us. But um, 
at the very least, moving forward, we want to commit to uh, doing it. A, a we don't want more than a month to go by, or you know, four weeks to go by before we're we're doing shows. But I really think that that's calmed down now. And we can resume back uh, to some reasonableness, at least. Yes. Beautiful. Nice. Okay. Great. Yeah. Well. Uh, I think, you know, we, we did explain to all of you guys out there that we did have a bunch of facility stuff going on, and hence the delay. But hopefully as those things start to subside, yeah, we can get back with some more regularity. Uh, but we're happy to be back. Uh, since then, there's been uh, a finalization of uh, one sporting season and the, the upcoming of another. So why don't we just get into one of our favorite segments here. <laughs> And this should be very quick. With free agency not starting until March, uh, there won't be much to talk about, but we do have to talk about the Super Bowl. And the question has to be put on the table, sir. Uh, is Tom Brady the greatest quarterback this game has ever seen? Um, I don't mm, – the greatest quarterback. I think if you put together everything, including the championships – the sustained excellence, the answer has to be yes. But I don't think this Super Bowl ball was the one that confirmed that. Because you know, this perform you know, he didn't play all that spectacular throughout. Uh he did what he had to do when he when he needed to do it. Um, right. So yeah, the the interesting topic or way the angle that I like to think about it from is, and I, I guess this is this is kind of um, synonymous to and transcends all sports, is the whole chicken or the egg thing as far as the the Hall of Fame head coach and the Hall of Fame All Star player. So is it you know is it Tim Duncan or is it Greg Popovich is it Tom Brady or is it Bill Belichick is it Michael Jordan or is it Phil Jackson you know so it's one of those one I can of those answer deals that. I'd like I'd like you to answer that because I lean I lean mm-hmm. at least in the case of the Patriots and their dynasty toward Bill Belichick I agree 150% take doesn't take anything away from Tom Brady, but right. that coach and the system that he has put in to allow him to play at a sustained level late into his 30s and into his very, very, very early 40s, and just mixing and matching pieces in that puzzle of you know not top-tier elite players at the skill positions, um, but just an offensive scheme that allows them, I mean, you know, they'll go down the field on you just hitting five-yard outs. Right. You know, so what's required to, to, to have that kind of offense? So they know the kind of players that they need. But with uh, – so that's my opinion with uh, the, the Patriots. With Michael Jordan, it would have happened with anybody. Phil Jackson yeah. didn't make him. He made Phil Jackson, in my opinion. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, I and, can see that. And Tim Duncan, I think, is uh, 50-50. A 
little bit of little bit of both. He thrived because of Popovich, and Popovich thrived exactly. because of him a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that, that that's an interesting take, and I like that one because I, I thought to myself, and especially, I mean, if you're going to use a Super Bowl to magnify it, this was the Super Bowl because the Rams had the high-flying offense and everything else. And like you said, Brady didn't do all that much. You know, his biggest his biggest passes were first downs, not even touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this, this two weeks for Belichick to scheme – against a team and and just completely outcoach the opposing sideline uh, speaks, I think, to, to his greatness. Uh, I've always said, or I, it was always my opinion, because back in the day, you know, I have five, ten years ago, maybe ten years ago, the debate was always between uh, Brady or Peyton Manning, you know, who, who's the best quarterback in the league. And I've always said I thought if Peyton Manning played – uh, with Bill Belichick, or even you could say Aaron Rodgers, uh, they'd have equally the same number of Super Bowls, if not more, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fair statement. But ultimately, Brady still has to get it done on the field, right? You can scheme the of best course. play on offense, but your quarterback and other players have to, you know, offensive line, everyone has, has to uh, execute. But uh, remember, Bill Belichick is the only coach that has a defensive game plan in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. He's also, um, I knew when the Rams became the opponent that he would do what he did to the Buffalo Bills in the in the early 90s to stop the, the K-Gun offense. Yeah. How, how ingenious was it is it that the simple way to stop the Rams' running attack was to not do what everybody else did, which was try and flow with the line, and you know because they like to do the stretch play and then cut back. So most teams will flow with the offensive line as they're moving in one direction, but steal right. those cutback lanes. And he did something drastically different. He said, "No, we're not going to flow with them. We're just going to run straight up field." Yeah, rush straight, straight up, up the field. field. That's exactly what they did. Yep, that's exactly and I tell, what they I was did. Talking to somebody online, and I said, I know for a fact the coaches on the teams that I like would have never thought of that. Would have never right. thought of that. Yeah, very, very outside the box. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. But uh, all right, well, you know the off season, the uh, the off season will be here in about a month. We'll have free agency, and until then, if we do any shows, we'll we'll be free from uh, free from any NFL talk, and and maybe baseball will start to do something for us. But uh, should we get onto the topic for the show today? Well, I, we, I, we can't close our NFL topic without asking: Did you watch any of the Alliance of American Football this weekend? Uh, oh, that's right, that's right. No, sir, I did not. I did not. Um, I would have made it a point to actually just because uh, mainly uh, maybe their marketing is good, but this is all they've been talking about on, on KMBR and some other, uh, some other outlets that I listened to. And so had I been in a position where I was at home and uh, had the option to just, you know, had some time on my hands to, to watch it, then I most likely would have, but I just didn't, uh, wasn't hit with that opportunity this weekend. We were out and busy, uh, the entire time. Did you watch it? 
Um, I didn't watch it live um, because I don't have the NFL Network. I watched it. I, I was able to see some very good highlights on YouTube. Um, I liked it. It didn't look. Okay. It didn't look like arena football gimmicky. Um, it looked like real football, and I think what helps is that it's got real players. It's got quality coach, name coaches that you know, name announcers. It's got all name things that you recognize, and some pretty good quirks in the rules that the NFL doesn't have or the NFL went away from that allows the game to uh, to be watchable, in my opinion. That's, you know, and it's, so it's interesting that you say that because these were the things that I was hearing in the marketing was that um, there, there were actual quality players and, and name coaches, like household name coaches that we've all heard of. So that brought some sort of credibility. And then one, I got a, I guess while the game was happening, I got a highlight to my phone um, on like Bleacher Report or some app I subscribed to. Uh, there must have been a very big hit in the, I don't know if there was more than one game or it was a single game. And, no, it, was uh, one, it, was one, it was in one game, that hit. Okay, and so Twitter was going nuts, like, oh, this definitely would have been a flag in today's NFL, but uh, I don't know, somebody must have got sent flying. Yeah, the quarterback got hit. He he was coming front side, but he didn't see him. And the, at the moment of impact, his helmet flew off. Yeah, yeah. And he got lift, you know, he got lifted off the ground, not intentionally, just the force of the hit lifted him off the ground and sure. kicked him on his back. But you could see when you watched the whole clip, didn't hurt. It just looked vicious, but you can tell by his reaction that it didn't hurt. You didn't see it like a oh, one of those. Yeah. Things. Yeah, yeah, well, you like tell that grimace. that hit hurt, right? No. Okay, interesting. Well, I'll have to. So, from what I understand, it's uh, what is it? Eight weeks or eight weeks or ten weeks? Once once a week, just like the NFL, and then uh, there will be like a two-week playoff or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Interesting. Well, <laughs> I'll have to. I'll have to tune we'll, in. We'll, we'll see if it's a nice fill in the gap. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get you through it. Get you through it. Yep. All right. Well, moving right along, the the topic du jour, what do we have on tap today? Role plays. Ah, uh, yes. Role plays have been a, uh, a staple of my counseling toolbox because I believe that it's extremely important for those that are in recovery and they're in the cocoon, and while they're in the cocoon of the treatment environment, especially the residential environment, that they have an opportunity to practice real-life situations that they may encounter that they have never practiced for um, so that they can experience what it's like to be in that, you know, be in that experience and how they should how they can and should respond to it. Now there is a couple of criteria for the role plays to be effective, and for them to actually accomplish what their intended purpose is. So one of the things that we know is that we we all have done role plays, whether it's role playing a job interview, if you've ever played organized sports, you've done role plays. Hey, Chris, I want you to be the other team's center or other team's quarterback. 
this is what he does. So do mimic what he does, and then we practice off of that. So there's all role playing is always going on in everyday life. We just don't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, one of the things it allows us to do when we do role plays is uh, we can feel more confident about what we're about to get into. Okay, um, helps kind of calm nerves a little bit, calm some anxieties, um, and then it allows us to be prepared for difficult situations that we kind of know in advance are going to be coming our way. So whether okay. they be situations, whether they be questions, or what have you, we know they're coming, um, and so we have an opportunity to practice the situation and how we're going to respond to it. Now, I do want to make one caveat, and that's this. Out and about in the field, some people have taken over the years to calling this role-play therapy. So I'm going to refrain from using that term, okay? I just call it role-playing. And the reason I don't want to use role-playing therapy, and even though they use it interchangeably, for me, role-playing therapy, and this is just my opinion, role-playing therapy is role-playing that's done under the guidance and instruction of a licensed counselor, licensed therapist, okay, in, a, in, in that controlled environment. Okay. okay, yeah, I agree. The role-playing that I'm talking about can be facilitated by all of the above, but it's also something that clients can do on their own with very little guidance from us, so to speak. Um, and that's, you know, when it's most effective. So we can, we can set it up and, and structure, you know, set the structure in place, but you, they can do this in their rooms at night. You know what I mean? So it doesn't have to have professional facilitation is what I'm saying. So I, I won't use the term role play therapy. So with all that said, um, if used appropriately, and if, if used frequently as a part of the toolbox, okay, it can have a significant positive impact towards the person in recovery, how they feel about themselves as they move forward and move outward into, uh, into the world. So role-playing can involve, well, <laughs> you know, when we're sitting in front of the mirror, you know, practicing stuff, you know, that's role play involving one person or someone trying to be funny will say, oh, it's really two people, the person in the mirror. But, um, right, right, right. Uh, but so generally, it's usually two or more people involved in the role play. Um, so what is integral to the success of it is, as we've always said in the treatment environment, number one, you have to be honest. And the reason why you have to be honest is because part of the role play is going to be evaluating the feelings that you encounter during the role play. Because in essence, these may be, could be, might be, these same feelings that you may encounter in those real-life situations. So it's very important, you know, once the role play activity is done and we're now reviewing and talking about it and we want to know, well, how did, you know, how did that feel to hear that experience, et cetera, it's very important to be honest about it because then you get, a, you get great feedback 
about not only what you're feeling or what you were feeling, but how you can not allow or, or prevent your feelings from dictate how you're going to respond in the situation. Of course, that brings up one of our favorite unwritten philosophies about to be aware is to be alive. So we want you to be aware of how you're feeling, but how you are going to act, what you're going to do, your behavior is what's going to be the most important. Now, Mr. Producer, one of my – I've, I've always had a couple of personal favorite role plays that I like to um, – I mean, role play scenarios that I like to put out there. One I, I've done with clients in treatment. One I've never actually done, but I've actually thrown the scenario out there to get their feedback on how they may respond in a similar situation. And most – in all – the second one was just only with men. But um, so role play scenarios. I'm going to talk about the one that I do in treatment. Okay. And it's a to me it's a very common one that people are going to experience, male or female doesn't matter. And that is, how do you deal with the homies or the homets? When you return yes. back to the neighborhood. That's the big and, one. And the various situations, because not every situation with the homies or the homets might be the same. So you may have those that are supportive. You may have those that are dismissive. You may have those that are jealous. You may have those that are, I don't know, concerned. It could be varied reactions to you all of a sudden popping up back in the neighborhood. Where you been? So you're going to get questions and what have you. There are going to be situations that arise as you're walking around the neighborhood going about your business. Okay? Because we know that the reality is, is that you know, people who are coming into treatment, they're they're not going to be uh, coming to treatment and then all of a sudden move somewhere else. You know, right, ninety five, ninety eight percent of the people that come to treatment are moving back to wherever they lived before they came in. That's right. You're going home. Right, and and that's that. So you're going to encounter encounter the homies and the homets, and they won't want, going to want to know what's you know what's up, what's popping, where you've been. That's the major one that I do. And the reason I don't have to do too many different ones is because there's so many of of just that one, there are a few different variations because there are a few different ways that people come at you. So, and I can even speak from my own personal experience. So you have the situation where they are supportive of you. The reaction to you coming back around the neighborhood, where you've been, yeah, I've been, you know, doing my thing, trying to get my life together. And and the feedback is very positive. I hear that. Good for you. I respect that. Keep up the good work. You know, stuff like that. And you can, the interaction is positive. You're able to engage and disengage and go about your business. Okay? Wonderful. We wish all of them were that way. (laughs) 
Yeah, right? <laughs> They're not always that easy. Yeah, exactly. Then you have the dismissive ones. And the, you know, the initial questions are always the same. Oh, where you been? I haven't seen you in a little bit. And the response, you know, you say say the same thing. You know, I've been doing my thing, to, you know, trying to get my life together, get back on the right track, et cetera, et cetera. And the response is, man, I'm not hearing any of that. And then they go about talking about what they're doing, and most of it is negative. What they're about to do in that very moment or the next few minutes, most of that is negative. And now you have to appropriately disengage from that. And that's a great role play. Because how do you disengage from that simultaneously keeping your respect, your vision, your goals, what you're doing and what you're about, not being influenced by the dismissive reaction, okay, but also how do you disengage from the information you just received about what they're getting ready to get involved in, what they're getting ready to do, what they're still about, and it's all negative, without, here's the key, without being disrespectful to them or coming off as being disrespectful to them. Have you ever encountered that, Mr. Producer? Yeah, so I, I haven't encountered that personally, but I have definitely I've encountered clients who have said that that has been their experience or clients who are anxious or nervous that that might be their experience. Uh, you know, and it's just like you said, so I don't – these are people I might have known for five years, ten years. You know, we have relationships. These relationships exist. And I don't know how to toe the line. You know, some people by default feel like setting a boundary or saying no um, is somewhat confrontational or, or might come across as somewhat disrespectful, even if it's not. So, so a client might have this kind of preconceived notion that if I run into somebody I used to hang out with and I have to set a boundary with them or they – you know, they're asking me to hang out or, or come hang out and, and, you know, get into some trouble uh, that by default of me just saying no, that somehow I'm going to be judged, looked at, or it's going to come across as disrespectful, even if that's not my intent. So I've definitely encountered that concern that mm-hmm. that clients have, that that is going to be the outcome of the interaction is that the, the interaction will be left with the the old friend feeling hurt or disrespected Uh, by virtue of you setting a boundary with them Um, and having to talk clients through that. And and, and which is funny is to say that, well, for one, you know, there's never anything disrespectful about you communicating to somebody else that you have to do what's best for yourself. If somebody can't understand that, then you may want to reevaluate how deep or, or how good that friendship was to begin with. Right. So that's one, but two is just like you said, 99% of the time, the response or the reaction from that old friend is going to be, Hey, you know what? Cool, man. You know, good for you, man. I hope, I hope you keep it up kind of thing. Even if they're not doing the same thing with themselves. And in fact, that feeling that the client feels, uh, you know, that they're going to be, 
you know, left feeling, oh, I've just disrespected this individual or whatever. Uh, the, usually the feeling is most of the feelings are left with that individual that you just encountered, that they're now saying, my goodness, you know, maybe they're going to start reevaluating where they're at because just five years ago I was using with this individual. I'm looking at them now. They're clean. They're sober. They have a job, and I'm still doing the same old thing. Maybe it's time for me to make a change. If anything, that's the feeling you're going to leave the old friend with, not like, oh, you know what, this person's disrespectful, and, and we're not going to have that kind of thing. Sometimes they do experience that, though. And in this case, like the person that's being dismissive, you know, the advice I would give someone in, 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 in talking about this role play and how you can respond to that is, you know, there's a way to not verbally respond to something, but also not show uh, um, facial expression or body language that, um, you know, someone would con- consider on the street disrespectful. And so if this is a person you know, so for me there's, there's, there's homies and homets, and then there's homie homie and the homie homets. And the, and the double, the homie homies are the inner inner circle. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The inner inner circle. Yeah. Um, and the homies are the extended circle, but you know them, you know them very well. You might have grown up with them in, in, in that, you know, larger extended group. So you know them, they know you, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, y'all might not be hanging every night, et cetera, et cetera, but y'all have hung. You know what I'm saying? Uh, mm-hmm. So because of that, there is some level of a relationship. But this person can be, you know, a hard ass, you know, especially if they misinterpret something. So, you got, you know, you got to know who it is you're dealing with, okay, how they roll, you know, how their brain works how they perceive and interpret things so that you can construct your response in an appropriate fashion. Okay. So if this person is a hard ass and they, they're very light in their perceptions, meaning that they pick stuff up that ain't there um, and, uh, you know, see things that really, you know, weren't intended and so on and so forth, you know, you got to be, you know, uh, what's the word? You, you have to, be slick, for lack of a better expression, in how you deal with that. And oftentimes, a mistake that's made is if he's saying, "I'm not hearing that. I'm about to go do this. Blah. I'm getting. You know, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm about to go do this. Blah, blah blah." Is thinking or believing that you have to respond to that. Right. Right. Or fully engage. Obviously, the worst thing you can do is engage by saying, trying to say, hey, no, I don't think you should be doing that. Maybe you want to think about doing something different. That's not the person you do that with. Right. That is, that yeah, is not try, the person trying you do to, that uh, with. Convince them to change. No, that's not the person you want to be preaching to. That's the person you let talk, and when they're, when they're done, you learn how to disengage in a respectful manner even if that only means saying, you know what, I hear you, I feel you. Yep, yep. And, and you know, depending on what the, you know, the physical situation is, where we're standing, what we're doing, whatever, you know, know how you're going to completely disengage from that. But you don't have to, you know, engage in a long, drawn-out conversation, you know. Now, it's different. It's different if it's a homie-homie. 
And even though that may be his characteristic, he's very difficult, you know, hard ass, blah blah blah. Doesn't you're still your homie, homie? You know what I mean? You just you just learn to deal with that part of that aspect of their being. Um, so if they're a homie, homie, you 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 have enough of a relationship that your response to them could be different. But we're not talking about that person, like a close, close best friend type person. We're not talking about that. Just talking about somebody from around the way. They know you, you know them, you're passing through, and they see you. And they're just being dismissive about what, you know, they, first of all, they ask the question, how you doing, where you been? I haven't seen you in a while. And you're just responding. And then their response to your response is just dismissive. I don't want to hear what you're doing. <laughs> that ain't what I'm about. I'm not about right, getting right, my life right. together. I'm about this life that I'm doing right now. And mainly because of those feelings we were just talking about. Right. You know, that that might get them to feel something, uh, you know, like, oh, maybe you're trying to condescend them or something like that. Well, that com- that brings up the next type of response, which is the jealous. Yep. Yep. The jealous one, response. And again, that can so I always caution the clients that there's equal responsibility here now. Okay? You have to be aware of yourself to make sure that your facial expressions, your 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 body language, what you're saying and how you're saying it is not coming off that all of a sudden, just because you got a little bit of recovery that you're holier than thou, that you got this, like, you know, you've never been there. In essence, that you have forgotten where you came from. Or as we like to say, how soon they forget. Yeah. <laughs> you, yep. were just, you were just there a minute ago. Where this person or these people may currently be, okay, and you absolutely have to be aware enough, be self-aware enough to ensure that you are not giving off any anything that someone could read as you're better than them just because you're, you're in recovery and you're getting your life together and you're now on the positive track that you somehow are better than those who are still mired in in, in their addiction and negative lifestyles. You're not better than them. You're just doing something different from them. So Absolutely. So if, if that all that is covered, and we're assured that we're self-aware, and we're sure we're not giving any of that off, and you get a response back from the person that, you know, you know, you think you're better than us, me, whomever now, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, you have to be able to respond to that appropriately without the situation going down a rabbit hole. And usually the best response, the absolute best response is humility. Not defensiveness, but humility. I'm sorry. If I came across that way, that's the last thing I'd want to do. I was just there a minute ago. I'm just in this thing a minute. I don't know nothing. You know what I mean? I don't know nothing. You want to absolutely humble yourself. Right, right. To to rectify their possible conception, misinterpretation of your response. Now, we can say we do know 99% of the time because most people that are in recovery are very humble. Okay? So 99% of the time, it's not them. 
It's the other person seeing in front of them someone who is doing something that they deep, deep, deep down would like to do. But for whatever reason, at this moment in time, they aren't doing it, and maybe they can't do it. That's what they see in you, and that's what they're reacting to. I want what you, what, what you have or what they perceive you to have, or I, I want what you're doing right now. And that's where most of it comes from. And so be, knowing that, first of all, and that's what we try and instill in our clients, that you've got to know this, that that's, what the, that's where the root of that reaction may be. Knowing that allows you to formulate your response to counteract that in the most humble way so that you can dissipate that negative energy, i.e. that jealousy and, and envy and all of that stuff. Right. Who am I? You know, who am I? I don't know about. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm new in recovery. I don't know anything. Shoot, I'm just trying to, you know, stay clean and sober. Right. I'm taking this. I'm taking this day to day, man. Right. <laughs> I'm not that far removed. Exactly. Yeah. So that's. By the way, that's the impression you always want to give, um, but especially when you're new in recovery, um, and you encounter people. So those things that we've just talked about. These are the things that we actually role play. So someone maybe like I'll play the role of the, of of the, you know, the people in the neighborhood, and then the clients will, uh, you know, they'll, I'll let them play the role of the clients, you know, coming back home, and practicing that. And by the way, the acting has to be real. <laughs> it can't it can't be you know robotic. You know, hey, how you doing? Blah blah blah. No, it's got to be. How would it happen when you when you show up in the neighborhood? How would they respond? They they're not just gonna be saying, "Hey, Chris, how you doing, man? I haven't seen you in a long time." That's not how they're gonna respond and come at you. Right. Not the homies. That's not how they're gonna come at you. So how how would they actually come at you? That's how we want you to come at this person. So they can feel your energy. And as a result, respond with their own energy like it's real. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're just, re- you know, you just be like reading, like reading a script off a piece of paper, right? So obviously, we don't have a script. We have no pieces of paper. It all has to come from within to make that role play effective. It's got to be genuine. Right. Um, so... For example, after a role play like that where you're dealing with someone who was who was displaying jealousy towards you, we want to know from you, the client, the the person on the receiving end of that, how did you feel? How did you feel when he came at you that way? What, what did it feel like? So that you can cuz a part of all the part of the practice is identifying in that moment how you feel because that's going to help dictate being aware of that is going to help dictate how you respond because remember we said your response cannot be defensive that's right but if you're not aware of what's going on at that very moment and someone comes at you like that you know human nature sometimes takes over and you want to push back and you want your defensive armory 
<laughs> armor come up. Right, right. When it's in, just like you said, it's the exact opposite effect that you're hoping to have. Being right. humble, being open, and you know, who am I exactly? Who am I, right? Hmm. Almost, it's almost like you're taking responsibility for their feelings, which is not possible. But you're just doing that in order to dissipate the energy of that situation. With the ultimate goal being knowing where that response is coming for from. For that person, you can then, this comes with practice, you can then use that interaction, that situation, to support them by talking a little bit about your experience. You know, like, you know, yeah, man, you know, I was, you know, I was down, 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 down and out. And, you know, there was no place for me to go but up. I had to reach out to get some help. You're saying all of this because you know that's exactly where this person is at. I made this call. I tried to see if someone can help me over here, over here. Um, I was dying out here in these streets. And you never know at the end of all that, you might get a question. Who'd you call? Where'd you go? How did you make that happen? And who knows, by the grace of the universe... You might be that person who sparks another person to get on that train. Mm-hmm. You never, you never know. You never know. So I always tell the clients, you know, I remember when we used to um, be in the vans in Manhattan. I'm sorry, at Far Rockaway, leaving the entry unit, driving from there to Manhattan, and Manhattan, upstate New York. And as we were going through the city from Far Rockaway, Queens to Midtown Manhattan. I would tell them, <clears throat> I said, imagine you're the person outside the van on the street, and you see the van, the daytop van going by. Everybody knows what daytop is. Okay, so they see you in the van. Okay, they're on the street. What do you think they're thinking when they look at you inside that van? Okay, now they're down and out. They're drug addicted. They're standing on the corner, getting ready to cop, getting ready to do whatever. Whatever it is they're getting ready to do is not good. They see the daytop van drive by, shiny, clean, and they see these all these people in there looking healthy, smiles on their faces and whatnot. They look wistfully <laughs> at the van as yeah. it drives by, you know, saying, you know, I wish that were me in that van. I don't know where they're going, but I, I, I wish that were me. And so you never know when you might encounter that person on the street. So I would tell them as you're driving by, I said, don't, don't be looking out the window of the van, giving the impression that you're high and mighty because you're in the van and you're in daytop and they're outside the van, not in daytop. Because the other day you were outside the van, not in daytop. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So as you drive around and you see what we're driving through to get to where we're going, it should always keep in the forefront of your your being, you know, to never forget where you came from. And if you never forget where you came from, you'll always treat the people who are tr- who are either actively trying to get to get there, or who haven't got on that train yet. You'll always treat them with dignity and respect. Always. So that's one of the by positive byproducts that can come out of a role-playing exchange um, 
that's then lived, the role plays lived in real life out on the street by the person who's now outside of the treatment cocoon and back in the neighborhood, back in society. And that's the whole goal. You do the role play to prepare yourself for those situations. We know some of them, you may not have that impact, but we know more often than not, an overwhelming majority, because as you said, most people aren't going to come at you in a negative way. They're not going to have a negative reaction. And so you never know the opportunity you may get, not in a preaching manner, okay, not in a preaching manner, the opportunity you may get to spark someone else's life that may need it. Very true. Yep. I can't emphasize enough when we're doing the role plays in the in the treatment environment, as I said at the top, the importance of as we do the exercises, as you do the exercises, to constantly practice asking yourself as you go through it, you know, okay, what am I feeling right now? What am I experiencing right now? Because again, that's going to gear and direct your response to the person that's encountering you. Another thing that will help the clients by practicing the, these role plays is they're able to identify behaviors, not only in themselves, but in others that they may interact with that they can see are counterproductive. You know, so if let's say you're hanging with the crew, you know, you know, just sitting around talking or what have you, and there comes a moment in time when they say, yeah, we're getting ready to head to the store to pick up some 40s, or we're getting ready to head to the spot to pick up some weed or whatever the case may be, and you're not involved in that anymore. But you used to be heavy with that crew, but that's not the, that's not the life that you're involved in anymore, okay? So have you, through the practice of role-playing, practice how you disengage from that? With confidence, self-assuredness, and the security that they're going to respect you. And if they don't, for whatever reason, because you never know what happens at any moment in time, right? So if they don't respect you and try and push back on you, say, all right, brothers, you guys have a good time. I'm going to head out and go do A and B or what have you. Maybe we'll catch up later or tomorrow or Sunday at the game, whatever. But if they push back and try and drag you in, just ride with us. We're just going to blah, blah, blah. You have to have enough self-confidence, self-assuredness, self-esteem to hold your ground and not worry about what I'm about to say, Mr. Producer, you, you, it's going to be music to your ears because of how much we preach it in the treatment environment. Not worry about being accepted. Yep. Yep. But staying true to yourself and your boundaries and whatnot and forcing them. You basically, you're forcing their hand if it comes up. Forcing them to respect your, your decision, respect your boundaries. But that won't happen unless you do it. So that's what's practiced also in the role plays. 
Because sometimes people think, well, with your the, with the friends that were supportive with what you went decide to do with your life, doesn't mean that they won't either consciously or unconsciously or directly or indirectly attempt to put you in compromising situations that if you don't you know speak up about or take a position on will compromise your boundaries. So that's also what we try and identify in the role plays. Don't forget, Mr. Producer, one of the things we also do in that little interchange there is the person on the other end, not only the person. I was just going to say, you can't forget about the other side of the coin and, and, and the impact that that's having. Exactly. And so we want to know what they're experiencing as you're giving them that response and giving them that feedback. Uh, what does it feel like for them Right. to right. hear that, have to deal with that, etc.? cetera? So, and it's important that in the role play exercise that that person give that information to the client so they can, again, it's all information that they can then use. Because if I'm that person and I'm saying, well, well, damn, you know what? You don't want to hang with us now all of a sudden? Now, even though I supported you, right, so that's, this is what's knowledge in your data bank. You know, I've supported you. When you came back, I said, good for you. I hear you. You know, good stuff, blah, blah, blah. So I've supported you. But all of a sudden, you know, who knows, a few months down the line, we're in a situation, and I'm trying to get you to, you know, come with us, roll with us, do something else, which, you know, you're not a, you don't want to be involved in that. And... So I'm now feeling a ways about that um, because I'm all up in my feelings about it. And, of course, I don't have the benefit of, you know, of, of the recovery process where I know what I'm feeling and I can actually articulate it. All I know is I'm in my feelings. And I start to feel a ways about you not wanting to hang with us and, and openly question that. What, what, you don't want to hang with us now all of a sudden? Now, where did that come from? Where did that come from? All of a sudden, you're going to say to me, what, you don't want to hang with us after you, after you were supportive of me and whatnot? This thing can change at any moment, depending on what's going on at that moment. So you have to be able to roll with that. So me telling you, I'm now I'm back to being the other person, Finding out from me what's go- forcing the other participant in that role play to speak to how they're feeling. Well, when you said you didn't want to roll with us and that you catch back up with us, it hurt my feelings. Because I was thinking like you did just didn't want to hang with us. Right. Now, let's be real. It's very rare for that kind of a conversation to take place outside of the treatment environment. Okay. You have oh, absolutely. to be... that, that that happens regularly. No, I'm saying that conversation. You you right. that friend, right, right, right. That, that relationship, that friendship would have to be on an evolved level. And yeah. as an example, yeah. like my friendship and my relationship with Joe, my best friend was at that evolved level where I could say I could call him up and say, you know what, what you what when you did that, what you just said hurt my feelings. 
That's Absolutely. where we got to. Okay, it evolved to that level. It grew to that. Let's use that term. It grew to that. So, but that's over 35 years. So, that's what I mean when I say the overwhelming majority of relationships out there aren't haven't evolved to that yet. So it would be unusual to hear the person say, "Well, you hurt my feelings when you said you didn't want to roll with us." So you have to be the client, you the person going back out into the world, have to be perceptive enough to understand, well, okay, what they may be feeling. They may not be able to articulate it, but you have to have an idea of what's going on so that you can appropriately respond to it. So you can say, you know what, I think I know what happened there. I think when I, I said, you know, that I, didn't want, I was going to, you know, I'll catch up with them later or whatever, and I didn't want to roll with them, that it probably hurt their feelings. So, you know, they kind of started pushing back at me. So knowing all that helps you then to determine how you can smooth the situation over. So again, you have to be humble. You have to show humility. So you could say in that scenario, you know what? I apologize if I gave the impression I didn't want to roll with you guys. That's not it. That's not it. Y'all, I just want y'all to go do what you do. Y'all, got, y'all have to go pick something up. Y'all have to roll over here. I just didn't want to, you know, deal with that, be involved in that. Had nothing to do with you two, being with you two. You know that. Um, but hit me back up. You know, whatever you got to do to smooth it over. But the key is understanding what they possibly have felt because of that interaction. And once again... To be aware is to be alive. Being aware of how you're feeling so your defenses don't come up. Because if your reaction to that is that you become defensive and angry and upset, that they would think that you would, you know, be doing this to them, then what's going to happen? It's just going to blow up. Yep, confrontation. Confrontation is going to ensue. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes in advance to the question of does that mean that you will find yourself more often than not being in the position of being the humble one? Yes, you will. Got to take the high road. Yeah, of course. Of course, because you, you have to, and it's something that actually, it's something that we preach in treatment all the time, that when you go back out into the real world, the real world has not changed. Exactly. It is you, uh, the individual that has changed and your mode of operation, your behavior, uh, the way you allow your moral compass to guide your decision-making. You are the one who went away for a period of time and made the changes that you made. And now you're reentering that same environment in that same world. And so as a result, like you said, you're then going to be put to the task of having to be that humble one more often than not, because you can't put that expectation that others are just going to understand you on to others. You can only hold yourself to a certain expectation. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's a very, uh, a very good point to make. And, um, you know, just constantly kind of reminding yourself and being self-aware, uh, and cognizant of the, the new role that you're playing in the lives of people who you once hung out with, uh, and your new role that you're playing in your life, in the world and the environment that you're going to move forward in. Uh, you have to accept and identify and acknowledge that you are the one that is different, uh, uh, not anybody else. Exactly. 
So let's recap. Number one, and you can practice this at home. <laughs> identify, identify the situation. Yep. We want to know specifically what situation or circumstance we're, we're trying to address, because this will then allow for, you know, fruitful discussion after the role play exercise. And you would want everyone that's not only the two people involved or however many people you're involving, but the people, other people that are in the room watching the role play, you want them to be able to participate in this also. Number two, we want to be specific in our details so that the role play can be as real as possible. It can't be vague. can't be generalities. I want to be a specific circumstance that we might encounter so that our responses and our interactions can be specific and as real as possible. Then it's, it becomes more relevant, especially if the two people or persons that are involved in the role play really feel it and experience it. The third thing we want to do is, obviously, you want to assign roles to different people in the role play, so that each person, like we say, we're like actors in the role play. Um, and I, I know in my time up at Swan Lake when we were doing role plays, I would, as me playing the role as the director, I would take great pleasure in, in being a mad, <laughs> <laughs> being a madman director and throwing people out off the set you know, for not being for not being say. real enough for not being real enough. So. We want people that are going to be fully engaged, understand the importance of the role play exercise, and who can really get in touch with their emotions and whatnot so, so that the role play is real. Exactly. And then, uh, and lastly, uh, we want them to, you know, light camera action. Boom, go, act it out. And... I, as the, the director, will just let the role play go on naturally until it's time to, you know, cut it, and then we start our review. But sometimes I've let role plays go on for like, you know, five, six, seven minutes, you know, because it was so good and real. You know what I mean? And, that, and the longer right. that they went, the longer that they went on, the more real situations just kept coming into play. So I just let it go and let keep letting it go. And so, you know, in a controlled environment, if there's a facilitator, that that's one of the things they should be very uh, perceptive with is making sure that you don't interrupt the role play because you never know if you let it go a little bit what other gems may come out of the role play. So those are the four important aspects of, of, of the, conducting the role play, identifying situation, have details, assign roles, and then lights, camera, action, act it out. Do it. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's excellent. That's it's always a, it always it makes for an entertaining group as well. 
you know, don't want to get off topic too much, but sometimes in recovery in an inpatient setting or residential setting, the, you know, the clients can get tired of the groups because they can be monotonous and the role play is actually kind of a fun interactive way to lighten up a group to where you may not even feel like you're in a group necessarily. Uh, but the, but the impact and the power that it can have is, you know, second to no other group. So it's uh it's um positive and impactful for a number of different reasons. Exactly. So, Mr. Producer, before I forget, one of the things I want to talk about <clears throat> along the same theme is remember I said there were two role plays that were my favorites. One one I actually had them act out and the other one was more verbal, just a question, an open question specifically to the males. And I would specifically choose the males that were, let's say, quote-unquote, reactive, or the males that were very macho in treatment. Mm-hmm. We, can tell, mm-hmm. we can tell the macho men, you know, the moment they walked in the door. And so uh, this would be specific to them. And so here, here it is. Here's the scenario. And by the way, this, is, this happens. It's real. It's not made up. You're walking down the street, a regular, and I have to say like a New York City block. So picture in your mind that you got bodegas on each corner and one in the middle of the block. Mr. Producer, you know what a bodega is? Yeah, yeah, like a little uh, corner store kind of thing, right? Exactly. Okay. Now, so you're walking with your significant other, and, you know, there's some guys hanging outside the store as they – is what happens, right? People hang outside in front of the store. They're drinking some beer or what have you. And as you walk past, okay, they do one of two things. They either make cat calls at your significant other or they, they make verbal comments towards and at your significant other. There's about five or six of them. They all got their 40s in their hand or in the bag. You can tell they're 40s. And that's the scenario. You're walking, you know, you're, you're walking, you're in your, your, your significant other walking down the block. How would you respond in that situation? What would you say? What would you do? So... The reason I would pick those specific men is, and of course they would take the bait, is because I wanted to see if they would not only you know take the bait but actually do what I think they would do based on what I've seen about seen and heard about them, is respond in an aggressive manner and go back at the guys. You follow me? Mm-hmm. Right. So the overwhelming majority of them said that they would stop in their tracks. Right. And, exactly. And go at them. They and, yep. and when they said go at them, it didn't necessarily mean like go towards them physically, but that it would start with ver- a verbal comeback. Yeah, you're going to say something about it. Right. Right. In defense or in retort to what they said, but in the, what you the, the the response was in defense of your significant other. 
or trying to clap back at their response, but in an aggressive, defensive manner. So that would be the overwhelming majority of their response. So my comeback to them was this. I said, okay, fair enough. Now, what if those six guys now came towards you, okay, to heighten this this, this verbal altercation now into a physical altercation? They're under the influence of alcohol. You don't know how long they've been there drinking and whatnot. Okay, and now they're coming towards you and your significant other, and there's going to be an altercation. And, you know, of course, the response is, well, we just have to handle our business. I just have to handle my business. <laughs> That's right. Et <laughs> That's, I said, right. Okay. That's exactly the response. I, yeah. I said, okay, fair, fair. I said, fair enough. I said, now here's what actually happened. Verbal role play. I said, what actually happened, this is me talking to those guys uh, in the in the program. I said, what actually happened is, you got played because you allowed your ego, your insecurity, your misplaced um, is a word that escapes me at the moment of when you're trying to defend your significant other's honor, um, being misplaced could have or will put you and your significant other in extreme bodily in danger of extreme bodily harm all because of your ego now when i phrase it to them that way then i would get a different response i'd be like you know what i didn't think about that i would say well why would you put your significant other in danger in that scenario Six of them, under the influence of alcohol, and all they said was something verbal, and all you had to do was just keep on stepping. Mm-hmm. Okay? But your ego, your insecurity, and it could be a double insecurity, your own insecurity and your insecurity with your relationship that, what, she wouldn't respect you because you didn't clap back at them? Because then that would have to question your relationship. Right. Where in fact, the manly thing to do is to protect that person, not endanger them by trying to be Mr. Macho Man and clap back at them, but instead keep stepping and do the smart thing. And just by the way, sometimes I would uh, up the ante and say, and you got your small child with you. And it never changed the response. The guys hanging out at the store drinking beer, throwing their remarks out at their at their their wife or their girlfriend, overwhelmed everything else. They had to clap back at that. Otherwise, they would you know they wouldn't have been defending themselves, defending her honor, defend you know defending whatever. They had to clap back at that to let them know you're just, you're just not going to disrespect us like that. When in fact that mindset could get you hurt or worse. Very true. So, so that situational, consequential thinking, okay, that has to overwhelm your ego, your insecurities. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the pride, the ego, the whole nine. Right, right. Has to over, overcome that, overwhelm that, okay, so that you don't put yourself and 
you know, it's different if you're by yourself and you want to be that stupid because the only person you're endangering is yourself. Right. But you're going to endanger your wife or your significant other and your child even just to uphold your own false sense of manhood. So after all of that ex- explanation and whatnot, they would finally get it and realize that, no, <laughs> you know, it's, it's – it's not the question of being a man or a mouse. In that circumstance, in that lip, that narrowly defined scenario, it's better to be a live mouse than a dead man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, if your significant other, you know, as you, uh, you know, uh, there's nothing I want to say. So, the other thing I brought up to them is, and based on your own personal experience about who you've been with or who you currently have, if you continue to walk, you didn't say anything, you just pulled, pulled that person closer to you and grabbed your child's hand and just kept on stepping, okay, what would be the conversation that would take place? What would be their reaction to you? What would happen if, as you got you know, a safe distance, and she looked at you and said, you punk. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're just going to let them uh, disrespect me like that? <laughs> oh, I'm, not no. walking, I'm not walking outside with you no more. You can't defend my honor. Yeah. I said, yeah. How, how, would, how would that go over with you? How would that relationship survive? You know, I posed all those questions at them. And when I asked them, I said, now, Bring it to the real world with anyone that you're with right now or have been with. If that went down like that and you, and you just did the right thing and you kept stepping, you brought them closer and you got to a safe place. And, you know, what would their reactions have really been? And they were like 50-50. Some would have said, nope, my girl would have understood it. She would have said it was the right thing to do. Because a lot of times when we rear up and our, and our, our pride gets in the way, our ego gets in the way, and, we're, and you're with a loved one like that, a lot of times they're trying to pull you down from that and say, no, keep walking, keep moving. Don't respond. And, you know, and, and that's the right thing to do because why would you put both of y'all in danger like that? Mm-hmm. But then I twisted it just one last time. I said, now, it's a different story. And I said, here's where the difference between being a man and a mouse and your significant other looking at you as being a punk and not a punk. The same scenario. You're walking, they're catcalling, doing whatever, and they physically accost you. Okay? Then, of course, you go down swinging. But you didn't right. start it. You're going about your business, and they're now trying to harm you and your loved ones. You do whatever you got to do. But you don't go out of your way just because of verbal insults to engage in a physical altercation where you're outnumbered. It's basically five to one, maybe five to one and a half if, you're, if your lady friend gets down like that. So obviously the whole point of this exercise with them is about trying to understand how, and you mentioned, I, I didn't even mention it, but it's, it's all part of it, you know, how your pride, your ego, your insecurities, your lack of self-esteem, all of that can drive your behavior to do something so stupid, okay, that you can end up dead. And they eventually got it. 
they eventually got it. Now, why would I use a scenario like that? Because it's real. It happens. It happens. I, I've been in the city, not not in California, but in, in New York, you know, walking with my wife, and, you know, she got compliments, okay? And, you know, I'm I'm not insecure, so, you know, depending on who it, you know, how it came about, the scenario and the whole, whatever's, you know, whatever the environment, what, however I'm reading that situation will gauge my response. Sometimes I'll say thank you. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. Know, and, 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 but I'm always, one thing I'm always doing, you, you keep on stepping. You don't stop. Yeah, you got to do it on the move because once you stop, you're inviting that, that interaction to take place for longer than it needs to or it should. Right. And sometimes you don't even have to say anything, a look, a smile, a nod. You know what I'm saying? says it all because, you know, words can be misinterpreted. You could say thank you and it's not in the right tone, not in the right frame and say, well, what? You trying to get smart? No. You know what I'm saying? So you got to, you, you know, I guess what I'm saying, if you grow up in New York, you kind of, these things are kind of born into you through just the right. environmental, environmental sauce. But, uh, it's everywhere. It happens everywhere. But men, we just get into these jackpots because of our pride, our ego, our insecurities, and all that stuff. So, yeah, we role play that. Especially if you know the kind of men that you're dealing with in the treatment environment, and you can see them getting into those kind of jackpots, you got to role play that out of them. So that was the second one, my second favorite one of the two role plays that I like to do. The coming home, back to the neighborhood, and the the walking with your your loved one and getting the cat calls. That's all I got, Mr. Producer. Those are a couple of those are a couple of good ones and that also uh it's interesting because the the two of them can can be related in regards to the response or re- reaction you might have for either um, can sometimes bring into play you know your pride and your ego and and what it is that you got to be be aware of when you find yourself in these interactions and so the role plays have some overlap even though they're pretty uniquely distinct right so. I think that's pretty good. I think that was a pretty good one. Well said. Well said. All right. Well, um, you know, one we'll, thing I we'll, do want to go one, ahead. One thing I do want to say is that um, <clears throat> I think it's important to let our audience know that as we move forward in this year, we we you know because right now we're doing abbreviated shows. We're probably out on for I don't know hour and fifteen hour and twenty minutes um, or something like that. But we are going to get back to periodically doing our longer shows where we're going to have our recovery support time and all that stuff. I just want right. to throw that in before I forgot. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's um, that's a good point to make, too, because we do know the recovery support time segment does offer support to a lot of folks. And, uh, we, you know, as we do these abbreviated shows, that's really just to get on the air and give give all the listeners a, a brief topic of what has been going on. 
and uh, until we can get back onto our normal schedule. So, but I think this was a good one. This was a good little tidbit to put on the air, and hopefully, uh, those listeners out there, people who listen to it in the archives, uh, can get a little something from it. Yep. So uh, that's it. We will sign off then. We hope to see you all uh, sooner than later. Uh, hopefully maybe by by month's end if not by the beginning of next month uh, as always there are the archives for those of you who listen and would like to have um, something to tune into uh, you can get into iTunes or, or access the archive however you're technically able to do so and uh, we wish everybody a safe a safe couple of weekends here however long it's going to be till we get to our next show and a productive couple of weeks and we will catch you all on the flip side
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Go your way, your whole soul. But one more day.